Holy shit. Uh, all right. Uh, so this is, uh, all right. Uh, it's currently 4.22 a.m. on July 13th, 2018. My name is Jacob Ellis Stedman, born October 30th, 1999. I live on St. John's Island, Georgia, 22 North Lane to be exact. I, I just had the craziest night of my life. I, okay, it starts with Mr. Hanratty, a neighbor. My mom and I live on the northeast end of the island, and the only other house on this corner of the island is Mr. Hanratty's house. St. John's only has one way on and off the island, and that's by boat. We're out on the northeast sort of corner at the top. Mr. Hanratty's house used to be the lighthouse, apparently, and our house was the support building. But it's all been remodeled and made modern and hurricane-proof. Crazy place to live, out here on the Atlantic, facing side of Georgia. Feels displaced, like a world of its own, in a time of its own. Hard to explain. It suits my mom, though, who's a bit weird, I guess. She inherited a bunch of money before I was born, so she doesn't work. She mostly just paints and reads and sits on the beach, observing with those huge eyes of hers. I think my mom is probably the most observant person I've ever met, other than myself, of course, and there's no way that's not directly related to her huge cat-like peepers. Anyway, other than us and Mr. Hanratty, there are only like 20 of the houses on the island. There were, anyway, and most of them are on the southern end, or sort of east-central. It's only us and Mr. Hanratty out here on the point. When somebody moves to St. John's, the rest of us know. There are only so many houses available, so most newcomers buy land and build their own place. It's exclusive, I guess. Kind of bougie. Definitely bougie. People bring their Teslas over on boats, so... Anyway, we don't find out there's someone new on the island after running into them at Ann's, our only grocery store. Oh, no. We find out there's someone new in town before their house is finished being built. By then, we know their name, where they're coming from, who they bought the land from, how they make the money, etc., so, two years ago, I started seeing... Okay, okay, back it up. St. John's experienced a population boom over the past two years. An influx of new homeowners that was practically of refugee proportions. For us, anyway, a developing company named Persetti Properties, fucking pretentious-ass name, came in and knocked up a gated community over the course of that summer, the summer of 2016. We're talking like 20 new homes. But the thing is, nobody was actually moving here. Nobody brought any loaded moving trucks across the channel on the ferry. Nobody... Alright, somebody drove trucks off the ferry, but the people moving into the houses didn't come on the ferry. Uh, okay, obviously the furniture and all their shit came on trucks or whatever. We've all seen the moving trucks, but the people didn't come over the channel. They came on boats that landed at Mr. Hanratty's dock. I saw them. All of them. Well, not all of them, but I've seen 11 boats land at Mr. Hanratty's, and I've seen 23 people disembark from those 11 boats. I have the names of a lot of the boats written down. They come on boats, and they leave from Mr. Hanratty's house in cars. I've seen them. There's no border patrol or cops or anything here. I didn't think anyone knew about these people. I've looked them up, and they didn't come from anywhere. Everybody leaves some kind of internet trail. Former addresses and phone numbers, social media accounts, school records, etc. These people have nothing. Like they came from another country. But they're Americans. At least they look and sound like it. So I started watching more closely, keeping notes. I didn't know what I was seeing. I kept thinking that they could be Russians, but that's crazy, right? Russians? But I kept watching. I kept notes. All paper. Nothing on my computer. This is a fucking cassette tape. I'm not stupid. They kept coming. 
51 people over the course of 22 months, which increased the population by nearly 50%. So I watched Mr. Hanratty's house, like Jimmy Stewart in rear window, like a fucking nut. But he's bringing them in. He... Earlier tonight I was watching and someone showed up around 9 o'clock on a motorcycle. No tag. They knocked on Mr. Hanratty's door. He came out and after they talked for a few minutes, Mr. Hanratty let the guy in. About 15 minutes later, I hear two gunshots come from inside Mr. Hanratty's house. Mr. Hanratty comes out the front door and walks the motorcycle around the house, down the dock, and dumps it into the ocean. My mom didn't hear shit. After dumping the motorcycle, Mr. Hanratty went back in the house for about 20 minutes. Then comes out his back door with what was obviously the motorcycle guy slung over his shoulder. He walked down the dock and dumped the guy into his boat, then got into the boat himself, cranked it up, and headed out into the dock. I sat there with my binoculars, not knowing what to do. Then I saw the thing on Mr. Hanratty's dock. I couldn't tell for sure what it was, but I knew I had time to run over there and find out. I could still see the lights of Mr. Hanratty's boat heading away from the island to the north. Plenty of time. No way he could see me. I ran over the dock, and I saw the blood spots. And as I reached the thing I had seen through my binoculars, I could see it was a phone. Like an old flip phone. It must have fallen off of either Mr. Hanratty or the motorcycle guy. I picked it up with the sleeve of my jacket and ran back to the house. The phone wasn't locked. I don't know if you can even lock a phone like this. The messages on the phone were crazy, like spy shit. Brief received, vector located, vector identified, a cell notified, shit like that. Crazy. Then the phone rang. I don't know why I picked up. Something? I don't know. I answered the phone when it rang, and I told the guy on the other end what I saw, how I got the phone. He was quiet for a moment, then said, Are you fucking with me, kid? I told him I most definitely was not fucking with him. He told me he works for an organization that deals with supernatural threats, like Men in Black meets the X-Files, but with no sci-fi gear and no money. Grimdark Men in Black. He said the guy on the motorcycle was one of their agents, but I could tell it was more than that. I could tell the guy on the phone was upset over what happened to motorcycle guy, big time, like they were friends or maybe more. I believe him. He sounded so desperate. I told him about the boats bringing people to the island through Mr. Hanratty's house. He asked me to go into Mr. Hanratty's house and look for something while Mr. Hanratty was out on his boat. He told me that Mr. Hanratty was very dangerous, which of course I already knew. He told me, uh, I went over there and found the thing. It was in his living room. It's a tablet made of solid gold like the size of a Monopoly box with symbols carved all over it. Way too heavy for me to carry, I tried. Except for one particular phrase or whatever, the carved lines of the symbols were all darkened by some crud that had settled into all the cracks. It had a smell to it like low tide. I snapped some photos with the flip phone and was about to leave when Mr. Hanratty opened the back door and saw me standing in his living room. I managed to get the phone in my pocket before he saw it, but I didn't know what to do. I just froze. He's fucking huge and I knew I'd never get to the door before him. Even if I could've, where would I go? The ocean? He smiled at me and asked me why I was in his house. I couldn't think of anything to say. I just shook my head. He said, You heard the song, didn't you? You came for that? Then he pointed at the gold tablet with the strange symbols all over it. He said, You ain't gonna tell your mama, kid. I won't tell her if you won't. It was coming, one way or the other. I still just stood there like an idiot. Even after what I had seen, 
he still looked like the same old homely man I had known since I was a little kid. His thin, dark lips were pressed tight, but he was still smiling his same wide smile. Same smile I've seen a thousand times. He pulled his huge hands out from behind his back and held them up and told me to go home. So I did. Mom was asleep on the couch when I came in, and she looked so happy. I locked all the doors and pulled one of my M4s out of the safe. The guy on the flip phone didn't answer after I sent the photos. But I'm not stupid. I used the photos in search engines using a burner account on a VPN. And found... I found some weird shit. The symbols are pre-lingual and have been found in a few places across the world. They are, as yet, undeciphered. Gaia Channel shit says it's from Atlantis. I don't know what to do. My mom would never believe all this. And even if she did... Damn it. I fell asleep at my computer with my rifle across my lap. Yeah. Woke up with mom yelling at me. She probably thinks I'm a fucking psycho. <clears throat> Great. The flip phone is dead. Like, dead dead won't even power up. I think they bricked it remotely. Crazy. I dumped the photos to my burner PC last night, though. I'm not stupid. I spent the day reading everything I could about the symbols and the Atlantis shit. I haven't seen Mr. Hanratty. A lot of the older UFO hippies online say that Atlantis is still out there, and still inhabited by people who are more advanced than us, more civilized. Occasionally, surface people meet an Atlantean and are granted wisdom or a relic from the underwater city. Gold is commonly used down there because it isn't eroded by seawater. Or anything, really. Gold is forever. Oh yeah, I noticed something weird about the photos I took the night before. In the photos, the cracks of every symbol are filled with a dark-colored crud, but I remember seeing one area of symbols that were clean when I was in Mr. Hanratty's house. I remember this clearly, and I've played back the tape from last night, and I mention it on tape. But in the photos, all the carved lines are filled with the stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Went to Ann's with Mom earlier to grab some groceries for the week and saw one of the new families shopping. The dad looked. He was clearly the father of this little hipster family. Husband, wife, one baby in the baby backpack thing. He looked... He looked like Mr. Hanratty. Like he could be Mr. Hanratty's son. Same wide smile and thin dark lips. Dude was wearing a Greta Van Fleet t-shirt. Ugh. But he looked so much like Mr. Hanratty. They have to be related. What the hell is happening on this island? Ugh. I saw Mr. Hanratty on the dock earlier. I was out on the balcony with Mom. He saw us and waved. We waved back, like we always do. I ordered four wildlife cameras to set up around the house. Just woke up from a dream. It's, uh, 3.42 a.m. I was dreaming that a bunch of mermaids and... mer...men, I guess, swam up to Mr. Hanratty's dock. It was dark, but the moon was full and I could easily see all the mer people in the water. Mr. Hanratty was there, 
and him and the mer people were singing a song. It sounded like Kate Bush. It sounded awesome. I woke up, and I swear I could hear singing outside the house. I looked out the window, and Mr. Hanratty was out on the dock, holding up the gold tablet. He must be crazy strong to do that. He was just standing there, holding it up. There weren't any mer people. He wasn't singing. I couldn't hear the sound anymore. I watched him for about five minutes, then went downstairs and made sure all the doors and windows were locked. When I came back upstairs, Mr. Hanratty wasn't on the dock anymore. I've got both my M4s and my 270 in my room. I'm not going back to sleep. I fell asleep. Somewhere around 8 a.m. Woke up at 2 o'clock. Slept all day. I dreamed I got married to a mermaid on Mr. Hanratty's dock. She was hot. Like, really hot. Except for the fin and all. We were in the water, but not. Dream shit. There were a lot of people on the dock, and they all looked so happy. <laughs> Weird. I went out for a walk on the beach and buried the flip phone in the sand dunes where my rifle targets are, and watched the waves for a while. I walked a long way home, back across the marsh to the road. I didn't want to run into Mr. Hanratty or my mom down on the beach. I wonder if another one of the men in black guys will show up. Maybe it was all bullshit. Cameras arrived today. Gotta love two-day shipping. I set them up at each corner of the house. Mom for sure thinks I'm a psycho now. Mr. Hanratty's been gone all day. He left in his boat around ten this morning headed toward the mainland. Usually when he goes to the mainland, he's gone for a day or two. I think he has another house in Valona. If he's still gone tonight, I'm going to break into his house and look around. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Fuck, fuck, oh, fuck. Fuck, he left it unlocked. I knew as soon as I walked in there, something was wrong. It was dark, and I didn't want to turn on the light and draw attention. It smelled like incense, something dark and, and sweet like honey. Lana Del Rey was on the stereo in the living room. I wanted to run, but I turned on my flashlight and kept walking into the house. I don't... Uh, I, I couldn't stop. I crossed the big living room, headed headed toward the gold tablet on the coffee table, and there was a girl on the couch, sitting there in the dark with the stereo playing. I nearly pissed myself. I made some dumb noise like a dog and backed away from the couch. She was naked and hot. She had huge, wet eyes, and they gleamed at me in the dark. I couldn't tell what she was thinking. Her face was... Uh, she wasn't smiling. I ran. I could hear her get up from the couch, but by then I was already out the door. Outside, I could hear the singing down at the end of the dock, just barely over the sound of the waves. It was beautiful. I walked down there. I don't know why. I was... I was, I was scared to death. I wished I had my rifle with me. There were eyes in the water. They were they they were mermaids. They were monsters. Fucking monsters. They had huge eyes and wide mouths full of shark teeth. They stared at me from just under the water. 
There, there were six or eight of them at least. Maybe more. I don't fucking know. They were singing. The sound was bubbling through the water. I ran. The girl was there, and she dove into the water as I ran away. I've got a... I don't know. I don't know. I sat on the stairs all night with my rifles, watching the house in the dark. I heard things. When Mom got up around nine, I had to haul ass into my room so she wouldn't catch me looking like a fucking psycho again. She was in a particularly chipper mood this morning, humming to herself while she made us breakfast. Seemed like she wanted to talk about something, but I was too deep in my own shit. I'm sure she thinks I'm a weirdo. I guess I am. We both are. I checked the wildlife cameras. They walked all around the house last night. The things from the ocean. The ocean. They're huge. Jesus. They're huge. Seven feet tall. Like the creature from the Black Lagoon on roids. Scaly. With murder claws and murder teeth. Their faces are insane. Like... I can see the fucking crazy in their huge fish eyes. What the fuck? They look like absolute lunatics. There's something else about them, though. They look like Mr. Hanratty. Well, one of them does. There are only eight face shots, and four of them are the same face, I think. It's got huge black eyes and a wide mouth with thin, dark lips. I swear, it looks like Mr. Hanratty. And the hipster douche dad I saw on Anne's the other day. What? What the hell is going on? I can't spend another night here. I don't know what to tell my mom. I don't have anywhere to go. Nowhere to go. I, 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 I showed my mom the photos of the things. I was, I was scared of spending another night here, and I knew if I just convinced her before the evening ferry we could get away, but she... Ah, fuck. I could tell right away from the way she looked at the photos. She knew. She knew something. She told me the golden tablet is a lineage, like a family tree, and we're part of that lineage. They want me to marry the girl. She's my mom's distant cousin. It's a noble bloodline. <laughs> they want me to marry my fucking relative. They want me to marry my fucking relative. <laughs> My mom was one of them. <laughs> so was Miss Nahan Ratty. So am I. My mom told me we'd go back to the sea one day. Back to my father. <sighs> I won't. I shot mom. When I dragged her out to throw her off the dock, her mouth was open. <laughs> and I could see she had another row of teeth behind the front ones. I dropped her in the water. They'll come for me tonight. Ugh. I have I have three hours. I have three rifles and 182 rounds. By dark, most of the people on this island will be dead. All of them if I'm lucky. I'll be one of those kids on the news. <laughs> They're not people. They're not people. And neither am I. 
but I'll save the last round for myself.
to hang with us So we nailed his ass to a tree I was born into the arms of the devil And the devil took care of me Jesus never wanted to hang with us So we nailed his ass to a tree Dreadlords with a song called Born in the Arms, which I identify with quite strongly. Dreadlords is about one of the finest goddamn bands in this current era of absolute fucking dog shit where everything everybody does sucks ball scum. Fuck the bullshit. Dreadlords is where it's at. Hey, y'all filthy motherfuckers know me. It's your main man, Ricky Goddamn Mortis. And I got many more deliciously devilish tracks headed your way in just a second. Holla at your boy. Heather Melton of the Lurking News here to report that the notorious serial killer known as The Butcher is killing again. He has left victims in Gainesville, Florida most recently and listeners, that's my emergency Lurking Studios phone. I have to answer it. Hello? Vern was convinced. And if Vern was convinced, Trevor was convinced as well. They carried her out the back of the house in some kind of shroud, and there was a short noose still attached to her. She was not burned. She must have been dead before the house ever caught fire, is what I'm saying. And that was that. The two of them were taking the long way round the hill to the graveyard, intending to break into the Brown's tomb and see Isla Brown's corpse. Because Vern was convinced they would see a noose round Isla Brown's once-so-lovely neck. And when Vern was convinced... Why are we taking the long way round? Trevor had asked Vern. Cause the goddamn Browns have eyes everywhere. The further we stay from the hill, the better, Vern had answered. Vern always knew best. Trevel was a bit confused as to why it was so very important to go and gaze upon the corpse of Isla Brown. But he never questioned Vern. There must be some good reason. Usually Silver was involved, or at least the idea of Silver. Trevel could not quite conjure up a scheme that involved coin being collected from Isla Brown's corpse. He was trying, but... Nearly there now. There's old Collier heading into town for his nightly cup, Vern said quietly. And then, the two of them were there, at the entrance to the graveyard. The graveyard was a ghastly big place. Old-timers said that it had long ago swallowed up an entire estate in its hungry expansion. Some old house and family that no one remembers. The living never stopped dying, though, and so the graveyard grew and grew. It was immense, a plot of land some fifty acres, covered in stones and mausoleums dating back hundreds of years, and those dated stones were said to be laid on top of graves older still. At night, 
The whole place was a shadowy tangle of gloom fraught with grisly potentialities. Trevel peered into the maze of stones and darkness and stopped in his tracks. He was thinking about when he was a young lad, some twenty summers ago, when the watch kept finding dead dockmen in the graveyard. It was a particularly hot summer, and the dockmen were probably seeking a breeze to break the boiling monotony of Riverside. One after another, watchmen found them in the graveyard, and after a while, everyone began to wonder why the dockmen continued sleeping there. Trevel's father was a dockman in those days, and the word from he and the other men was that a song drifted out of the graveyard late at night, and not all men could resist the call of this song. "'What keeps you, fool?' Vern asked. He had stopped and turned around to face Trevel. I was just thinking about those dead dogmen from that one summer when we was lads. My dad told me that a song came out of the graveyard at night and took the men away, Trevel answered. <laughs> I do not ken how a song could kill a man. Your dad was a drunkard. Let us be about her business, Vern said. Just at that moment, in the darkness of the expansive graveyard behind Vern, Trevel saw something move, something swift and silent. He gasped and pointed. Vern snatched his head around to see what Trevel was pointing at, but the figure was already gone. Will you piss yourself like a sackless cur at every moment you see? Fool, the graveyard is full of scoundrels and lovers and the occasional group of watchmen after dark. Bring out your breeches and follow me. With that, Vern drew his knife and led the way. Vern's knife was a three-inch iron nub with a clay handle, but... It had opened an unfortunate belly or two over the years. It made Trevel feel better seeing that familiar knife. Moments later, the two of them were well into the graveyard. Now that they were inside, the dull, eerie glow of Lover's Hill's graveyard was lighting their way. The custom of the people of Lover's Hill was to light a candle at fresh graves, and at the anniversary of a loved one's death, a candle was also lit at the grave one for each year since the person's death. This custom provided the ancient graveyard with a small amount of light, at certain times of the year and in certain areas of the graveyard, that is. The two men had walked by the fresh grave of Gilliam Redsails, lit by a candle. They also walked past the Green family mausoleum, lit by a candle to mark the death of young Rella a girl of nine who was found dead in her bedchamber a few days previous. That one's just a little one. Damn shame, truly, Vern said as they passed the mausoleum. Trevel glanced back at the entrance to the mausoleum, barely glowing from the candle burning there, and saw movement again. Not just one shape, but two. He was not sure why, but he felt that this was the same person, or now, persons, that he had seen earlier. The two shapes darted across the dull glow of the candle for just a moment, and Trevel had made out two of them for certain, both shrouded like haints or revelers on the night of the dead. Something trailed in the grass behind one of them as they had disappeared into the darkness. The hair stood up on the back of Trevel's neck. I saw him again, Vern. They're stalking us, Trevel said fearful. Vern twisted round and queried Trevel thusly. Was it the watch you saw? Old Uncle Iron and his gang? Huh? Trevel did not answer. 
Did you see iron caps or not? Vern asked again. N- no, it were not the irons. S- something else, Trevel said. Vern pounced on Trevel, clawing him upside the head with his fist. You off! There is no one stalking us. There is not a reason for any man to stalk us. Have you any value? Do you hear the clink of coin about my person? Now follow me or I shall clout you again. Though I doubt it will do much good. Vern said and set off at a faster pace. Trevel followed Vern and the two of them darted through the maze of graves, getting closer to the old center where the oldest families had their tombs. Trevel glanced back, seeing how deep they were into the vast necropolis, and shuddered. He had never been this far in. Finally, they reached the squat, sprawling stone heap that was the tomb of the Brown family. A candle still burned at the entrance, although it had been nearly two turns of the moon since Isla's death. The Browns were a proud family indeed. Take down that candle and hold it high, Vern said. Trevel grabbed the candle and held it aloft, but it did little to pierce the gloom inside the old tomb. Vern led the way, and Trevel followed, into the darkness of the tomb. Down the entrance steps and into the cool of the earth, all the sounds of the night air were choked out. The only sounds were their soft, grating footsteps on the stone floor. At the bottom of the entrance of the stairs, there was a long, wide hallway stretching forward, with offshoots to the left and right. Notching the walls of this long hallway were crypt alcoves, one low and one high, most holding a dusty coffin. Just ahead, ten paces from the bottom of the stairs, a candle burned in an alcove holding a coffin. That's her, Vern said as they stepped up to the alcove with a burning candle. Vern reached out and grasped the lid of the coffin. Now I will show you the thing that I saw that night, a thing that some would pay to know and others would pay for others not to know, Vern said. What? Trevel did not understand. Silver, fool! What's in this coffin could bring us silver, see? Vern said and lifted the lid. Trevel peeked inside the coffin and saw nothing. Vern cursed. May the black goat take my balls. I know what I saw. Those bastards have hidden her away so as not to expose their lie. Vern spat out. It was then that a strange voice spoke from the darkness at the bottom of the entrance stairs. A clever one you are, spoke the strange voice. Vern and Trevel nearly jumped out of the ragged clothing at the sound of the voice. Vern crouched low and readied his knife. I told you someone was stalking us, Travel said, trembling. His sweaty hands were slowly losing grip on the candle. Two clever ones, the strange voice said. Who is that there? Show yourself, you bastard, Vern challenged. Travel took a step backward, away from the stairs and deeper into the tomb as scuffling footsteps began to come their way. A shrouded figure shambled into the glow of the candle. It was a dead woman wrapped in a burial shroud, with a short noose still attached to her neck. Trevel could smell the late summer rot coming from her. Vern gasped and took a step backward. Don't be startled. 
It is only the one you came to see. She is so very hungry, good sirs, the strange voice said. Trevel saw the man's face as he stepped into the glow of the candle. It was one of the singers from town, the one who always sang at the corner of Bell Street and the Lonely Avenue. He was holding a length of rope that was also coiled around his shoulder. The end of the rope, hanging from the man's hand, was cut and frayed. The man smiled at Travel. Hungry. Isla said and leapt onto Vern, dragging him down to the floor with her weight. Vern screamed and plunged his knife into Isla's neck over and over, producing a quick series of dull, popping sounds as he tore through her rotting flesh. She did not bleed. She did not stop. She sank her blackened teeth deep into Vern's throat and tore out a chunk of it. Vern gurgled out a hideous bellow, losing grip on his knife as his throat spouted blood in nearly every direction. Isla began to eat Vern's face as he twitched and kicked all over the place, moaning and gurgling. Trevel dropped the candle he was holding, backing away. The singer smiled at Trevel again and snuffed out the candle in Isla Brown's alcove, plunging the tomb in absolute darkness. Trevel stumbled backward into the blackness of the tomb. Half an hour later, Trevel was still hiding in an empty alcove somewhere in the tomb, listening to Isla Brown eat Vern. She tore the flesh from his bones like a hillcat and greedily slurped down the meat. The sounds of it were driving him mad. If he had his own knife, he would have cut his own throat. There was no way out except past Isla and the singer. The singer called out to Trevel. Unfortunately, good sir, she is still very hungry. She has not eaten in so long. She will be done here soon, and we will come for you. We will find you. I can hear your breathing and smell the stink of your piss. I wish that it were different for you. I wish that it were different for all of us. Silence for a moment, as Trevel struggled to understand the man's words, then. Have you ever loved, good sir? Trevel did not answer. Or maybe you have at least been loved, and remember what that was like? The singer asked. Trevel did not answer. He thought of his father. A drunkard, yes, but a kind and loving man. Trevel had known love, yes. A terrible, violent, wet, crunching sound could be heard from where Isla was eating Vern. Just as suddenly as the crunching started, it ceased. Wet, shuffling footsteps began to make their way down the hallway and into the darkness where Trevel was hiding. As Trevel struggled to keep his sobs quiet, the singer spoke again. He and Isla were closer now. I ask you if you know of love, sir, but this... The singer said as he and Isla approached Trevel's hiding place. The singer had lit a candle, and Trevel could see the terrible gore-blackened form of Isla Brown as she shuffled toward him out of the dark. The singer continued, This, this is loveless. Trevel screamed for his father, 
as Isla Brown tore him apart and devoured him in the dark.
Visit Paimon Saloon, located in Multiverse Sector 36019999. Need to meet a dashing smuggler? We gotcha. An interplanetary escort? We gotcha. A place to smoke a nefarious deal? We gotcha. Looking for galactic contraband? We gotcha. We do body disposal, spirit removal, genetic alterations, and two-day cloning all in-house. Want to rub elbows with the multiverse's most dangerous characters? Partake in the finest and strangest intoxicants, known or unknown, and possibly get killed in the process? Visit Paimon Saloon, located in Multiverse Sector 36019999. St. John's Island, isang isla karating ng baybayin ng Georgia sa Estados Unidos ay nasindak ng isang trahedya. Sapagkat, isa na namang mass shooting ang naganap na nag-iwan ng limampung katao na nasawi at marami pa ang sugatan. Ang salarin ay kinikilalang si Jacob Ellis Stedman, isang binatilyo na sudyante ng paaralan ng Another Mass Shooting in the United States. Listeners, That's my emergency lurking studio's phone. I have to answer it. Hello? Hello, darling. Who is this? You know damn well who this is. The notorious serial killer known as... The Butcher? That's right. I'm on my way to see you tonight. <laughs> well, y'all, looks like things are getting a little more dangerous than usual in my little studio tonight. 
I hear a gunshot, and the mirror behind the bar explodes, becoming thousands of shiny slivers of glass. Where the hell did that shot come from? I hit the deck and cover my head and neck as best as I can. Unfortunately, I'm using my arms. I get cut pretty bad. Goddamn windows and mirrors. The second after I get showered in broken glass, the guy with three arms starts shooting up the place. Thank God I'm already behind the bar. I learned that trick a few years ago. The first sign of trouble, you jump behind the bar. This technique has saved my life more than once. Anyway, the guy with three arms opens fire, and from where I'm at, it sounds ugly. I should actually take a moment to expound upon the phrase, the guy with three arms. He's not really so much a guy as he is an eight-foot-tall, black-as-ebony, man-shark kind of thing, with three arms that have elbows that bend both ways. The three guns he carries are said to be soul-forged, which means that the soul of a living creature was added to the smelted ore that was used to cast each gun. The necromancers that make soul-forged gear torture the souls before they pour it into the smelted ore, which turns the soul into a vengeful wraith that consumes the soul of any creature killed by the weapon that it inhabits. This means that the gun gets more powerful with every kill, obviously. Sorry to break in all this backstory and slow everything up, but you need this kind of setup to get the full effect of the tale. You'll see. So anyway, more about Blackie Mancharco. That's not really his name, I just think it's funny. The guy's been around for centuries. He was once an emperor on his homeworld, some backwoods aquatic planet, until he offered his entire kingdom to some dark god in exchange for a life out of the water. With his new legs and lungs, he soon became a major player in numerous shady dealings throughout the galaxy. He got himself wanted for murder, extortion, theft, impersonating a religious figure, and armed robbery. After his alleged involvement in the liberation of Yogg-Sothoth, he found his way into other probabilities somehow, and eventually found his way to Earth. Eh, one of them, anyway. Remember that story in the Weekly World News? Shark Man robs Farmer's Market in Fitzgerald, Georgia. That was him. He also killed, raped, and ate, in that order, a family of five in Daytona. Blackie is a confirmed eater of children, which is punishable by death in most probabilities and galaxies. After his short time on Earth, Blackie went back to his home galaxy and commandeered himself a spaceship. He did the space pirate thing for a while, and then one day, on some rock in the middle of nowhere, he met a necromancer named Dave Riley. Dave gave Blackie the idea about picking up some soul-forged guns, and Blackie soon collected two other necromancers to help Dave craft these weapons. After the guns were made, Blackie killed Dave and the other two necromancers and made their souls the first to be consumed by each of his weapons. Then he ate them. With his new guns, Blackie set out on a path of destruction that tread through five galaxies and three probabilities. He got himself wanted for every crime in the book. Eventually, he became a gunslinger of sorts, and he took to challenging folks to duels everywhere he went. Claimed he was the deadliest creature in existence. Claimed he had over 10,000 souls in each of his guns. Then he claimed he had found the guns of Arthur Eld, the greatest gunslinger that ever lived. That was why my wife had dragged me to this bar on this ghetto planet on the outskirts of decent civilization. She didn't care that Blackie had been bragging. We figured we'd run into him sometime or another anyway, and she would set him straight then. But then we heard that he had been telling folks that he had found some gunslinger iron. Well, that just pissed my wife off. If they're real, I want them. And if they're not, it's about time somebody shut him the fuck up, don't you think? She said to me. Sure, I said. How much ammo should I pack? Not a bunch, she shrugged. So anyway, here we are at a shithole of a bar on a ghetto planet, face-to-face -face with one of the baddest motherfuckers ever. Well, Antoinette is face-to-face -face with the scary bastard. I'm behind the bar. The last thing I saw before I jumped over the bar and took cover was Blackie and Antoinette giving each other mean stares, and everybody else in the bar running for the door, even the bartender.
So like I said, the mirror behind the bar explodes, and I get all cut up, as usual. Immediately after this, Blackie Mansharko lets loose the juice, and his guns sound like cannons in rapid fire. I hear him get about seven shots in, and then I hear six other shots that boom so loud that the bar shakes on its foundation. These six shots are so thunderous that the impact closes my throat, and I choke for a moment. The silence after these shots concerns me, so I get up from the floor, shaking the broken glass out of my hair, hoping to see my wife unhurt, as usual. This is what I see. Blackie Mansharko on the floor, in a pool of his own sickly yellow blood, which is a weird and stark contrast to his shiny black body. Blackie is missing all of his arms and both of his legs. My wife is standing over him with her revolvers, which are roughly the size of Buicks, drawn. You all right, babe? I ask her. Yeah, she speaks through her teeth. Her voice sounds like a woman in the grip of a homicidal rage. She looks mad enough to burst into flames. Her red hair glows like magma. Something occurs to me. I heard six shots. Blackie's only got three arms and two legs. Where'd the other shot go? I asked my wife. That sneaky little fucker over there, she answers, jerking her head to the left, toward the door. I look in that direction and see half a guy lying near the door. There's a small handgun lying close to him. The hole in the wall where the guy must have been standing is about a foot in diameter. So that's who shot the mirror. Bastard. I didn't even see him there. I wonder if this asshole was shooting at me or Antoinette. And then I stop wondering because, ah, he's dead now anyway. I look at Blackie again. He's starting to moan and groan, waving his bloody stumps around. You need a partner to back you up, Blackie? Thought you were a badass. Real duelists don't need no partner, you fucking chump, I say to him. Blackie starts cussing us in his language, which is basically a lot of resonant humming, gurgling, and bubbly sorts of noises. Antoinette holsters her hand cannons and then steps over and opens Blackie's coat. She digs out two ancient revolvers. She examines them for a moment, grins, and then tosses the guns to me. Blackie is still cussing up a storm. I study the ancient revolvers for a moment, and my eyes go wide. Babe, I think these are the real deal, I say. Me too, she says as she picks up one of Blackie's guns. The damn thing looks like a grenade launcher. The grip is so big it takes Antoinette two hands to wield it. Of course they are real, you talking ape. Blackie lapses into English, which sounds really strange when spoken with a watery, sharky accent. Antoinette looks down at Blackie. Well, they're mine now, you talking fish, she says, aiming Blackie's gun at his own face. And I'm going to feed your soul to this thing. She gestures with the gun, and the gun lets out an unmistakable rasp of hunger. Blackie starts cussing again, but Antoinette interrupts him by blowing his fucking head off. We watch as Blackie's soul is visibly drawn into the gun. It's sort of like watching tiny fireworks in reverse. It's really cool. I wish I had my camera with me. Afterwards, we pack up Blackie's guns. We have a collection to add to, you know and leave a stack to pay for the damages, and then head home. Back at home, after a cup of coffee and a hot shower, I make love to my wife. I let you imagine how amazing that is. After, as Antoinette falls asleep and starts to snore, I light up a blunt and think about my life before I met her. I think about putting on my name tag to go to work at Circuit City, and I laugh out loud. As soon as the laugh escapes my lips, Antoinette's hand comes out from under her pillow holding a desert eagle. She only keeps small ones in the bed. The rest of her body never moves. She's probably still asleep. It's okay, babe. Just me. Sleep, I say, and pat her head. She grumbles something, puts the gun away, and then sighs. Content.
Uh, yeah, it was huge. Fucking huge. It was fucking crazy, like invisible, with mouths all over. More mouths than it could possibly have. It, it got my man Steve on vacation up here from Florida. Just fucking tore him off his feet. Like left his feet sitting there in his boots all bleeding and shit. The only reason it didn't get me is because my Lurking Transmission shirt protected me. They're available now on Bandcamp site. The Lurking Transmission is my shit. give up that dairy girl uh i know i know and welcome back to strip down with stacy y'all where country doesn't come to town <laughs> <laughs> where yours truly the lovable sexy wonderful stacy green gives you all the dirty secrets of new york's most fashionable and fuckable and there's me and there's joe my foxy co-host and brooklyn's most insatiable dick tease guys keep sending stacy emails about the title and don't stop with the hashtag. Look, as much as I would also love to change the name to Stacy and JoJo, we're not doing it. The fans have spoken. Hashtag Stacy and JoJo. Hashtag too early to rebrand. Hashtag too early to Russell brand. Never. It's never too early to Russell brand. How dare you? <laughs> okay. Well, so first up is a little segment we like to call On the Way Today, where we talk about something that happened to us on the way to do the episode that you're listening to right now. Sometimes this is gold, sometimes not so much. So, you know, bear with us. Mine are normally pretty good. And after that is another edition of Joe's Hella High Horoscoping. In which I get so high I can see your future. And is great. <laughs> and after that, guys, guys, we have the Kristen Chenoweth coming to talk to us about backstage romance. <gasps> Backstage romance? Oh, you heard me right, Joe. Backstage romance with Kristen Chenoweth. <gasps> Eep. Mm, Eep indeed, my dear Joe. Eep indeed. But first, on the way today. On the way today. We're on, going the way today on the way on today. On the way today. We're there. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who's first? You know, mine are usually the best, but today I don't have anything great, honestly. Just one little thing. Let me go first. Mike Checka. Mike Checka. Yeah, this mic's good. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So, I rode my bike today. It's freaking freezing out there. I know. A sister's probably taking a fucking Uber home. Anyways, I stop at Ellie's for coffee. The best. And when I come out, I'm undoing the chain on my bike, and I see this guy in the alley. Here we go. Dude is taking a dump right into one of those little cardboard baskets for nachos. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. And expertly, like, hits it dead center. You saw this? Ugh. Oh, yeah. 
I saw it all. So he finishes, right? And I realize I'm just standing there watching. And he reaches down and picks up the basket. Nope, nope. I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) I got the fuck out of there when he picked it up. I didn't know if he was going to fling it at me or what. Or eat it. Uh, Either way, I wasn't sticking around. Good call. So that's it. That's my on the way today. Great. Hashtag too early for poop stories. (laughs) Hashtag yes. Fuck. Well, what you got? I got, well. What the fuck was that? What? You didn't hear that? Hear what? Seriously. Seriously what? Okay. Anyway, on my way today, I found a new pop-up cafe at the south end of Beacon Street. It was like under an actual tent, like an Indian market kind of thing. Ooh. Yeah. And they... Okay, so it's weird. I stopped because a sign said vegan tacos, but it's not a taco place. It's a bookstore with a teeny tiny theater in the back with like six chairs, a tiny stage, barely big enough for two people to stand on. And they were playing this weird, like creepy ambient music in the background. Hmm. I. Well? Well, there was a play on called Wing Beats. And it was like, I don't know, some kind of thing about two radio hosts in the 40s. They were wearing masks, like these cheesy goblin Halloween masks or something. And like, I was only standing there for a second, but all six chairs had somebody in them. Full house. Yeah, (laughs) full house. So all the people in the chairs turned around all at once and looked at me. And they were wearing masks, too. Oh. Right? And they were just normal human faces. The masks. But underneath the mask, I could see green skin and wild gray hair poking out. Nuh-uh. Yeah. So creepy. And the smell, like, I don't know, this kind of spicy smell. I ran out of there, scared to death. Then, when I got to the corner where the Chinese cigarette place is... I turned around, and there were people laughing on the sidewalk, like in front of the pop-up. So, (laughs) I guess it's like this performance art kind of thing, or something. Whoa. Well, maybe you guys should tell us, huh? Get down to the weird tent pop-up at the south end of Beacon Street near the Chinese cigarette place and tell us what you think. Yeah. Somebody go out there and check it out. Call us. I am eagerly awaiting a call, people. So, that's my on the way today. That was a good one. Now it's time to talk about wrist locks, y'all. Yes, ma'am. Ladies, gentlemen, those outside the binary, wrist locks are your key to fucking someone right up out there on the streets. The hard streets. Haha, <laughs> indeed. The streets are tough out there, folks. Sometimes a fool wants to put their hands where they shouldn't be, on your person. And in these times, it helps to know how to take a fool's wrist and wrench it right off. Yes. I posted a video tutorial thing for you guys. Watch it and learn how to fuck a motherfucker up. Because, you know, sometimes you have to. We're not playing here, people. Get yourself educated on how to manipulate the human wrist. And thumb. And thumb. You can mangle somebody with their thumb. 
have a call, folks. Joe's going to pick that up. But while she does, I just want to remind you. Wrist locks for the dangerous chick on the streets. Watch the video. Watch other videos. Learn the deadly art of wrist locks. And now we will go live to our first caller of the day. Hey, who are we talking to? Hey, this is Sean. I was at the pop-up this morning. Cool. So tell us, Sean, what the heck is going on over there? I stopped for the tacos, but... <laughs> um, well, do you really want me to say? Yeah, get on with it, Mysterio. <laughs> Sorry. I just mean, I, I don't want to ruin it. What did you see? Just tell us. Okay, well, I saw you in the play, Stacy. The weird play about the radio host with the eerie music. You saw me in the play? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think I saw you guys setting up or something. Dude, I don't have anything to do with that place. Well, I guess it could have been a mask. Everyone else in there was wearing a mask, like weird, regular people masks, but fucking creepy. Life masks, you mean? Yeah, life masks, that's right. <laughs> and somebody was wearing one that looked like me. Yeah, you guys really don't. Hey, do you hear that? Is that on your end? Hello? Hello? Okay. Right. That wasn't weird. Nah. Everything's cool. Everything's cool. So, is it time for horoscopes? I think it is. Yeah. Joe's. Hella high horoscope. She's so high. Joe's. Hella high horoscope. She's so high. High above me. She's so lovely. <laughs> that was good. That was good. To keep her. We shall begin with Taurus today. Taurus, you are a dad, most likely. Or possibly one of those women who listens to Adele and wants to speak to a manager. A mom? Yes. <laughs> Next up, we have Cancer. Nice order. Shut it. <laughs> cancer, you are probably a phony. You should probably reevaluate your life. Stop lying to everyone. Just be yourself, Dan. Ta-ha! <laughs> Next, we have Leo. You fucking douchebag. Hey. Not you, but you. <laughs> I better not be you on the phone, Leo. Hello, this is Stacy and Joe. Who are we talking to? All faces are masks. What? All faces are masks. To cover up the meat and bone underneath. Who are we talking to? <laughs> exactly. So, my man, what you're saying is that we all wear a mask? Did I say that? Pretty sure you did. Do you hear that? What the fuck? Tell me you heard that, Joe. Hear what? This guy? What's your name, guy? He's gone. Oh well. Fucking weirdo. That noise. You didn't hear that? No, ma'am. What did it sound like? Seriously, stop fucking with me. I'm not fucking with you. It's not funny, Joe. I swear, I'm not fucking with you. You want me to get that? Yeah. Hey, this is Stacy and JoJo. Who are we talking to? This is Sean. I called earlier. Hey, Sean. How? I'm in the pop-up. It's 
I don't know how I got here. My phone won't dial anything, but your number I- Whoa, 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 Sean. You're in the pop-up now? Yeah. Oh, God. I don't know how I got here. I- Come on, Sean. Spare us the voice acting. I'm fucking serious. I don't know how- My phone won't dial anybody, but you- I... Just leave, Sean. Get out of there. There aren't any doors. It's just curtains. The stage is so big, like- Like as big as a park. As big as a city block. I can't see past the lights. I can't- What the fuck? Hello? Hello? Sean? Sean, are you there? Okay. Okay. You know, I hate even saying this, but should we call the cops? And tell them what? I don't know. I'll call. Keep it going. All right. Okay, y'all. Joe's stepping out to call the good old NYPD to make sure, I don't know. We just want to make sure everybody is all right. Sean, if you can hear us, call the police or something. You better not be fucking with us, Sean. So, I may have mentioned earlier that we have the Kristen Chenoweth coming in about 30 minutes. She's going to give us all the dirty dirt on backstage. All right, guys, I'm going to pick up this call. It could be our friend Sean. Hello? Reality is a mask. You again, huh? Do you work for the pop-up? Are you a promoter or something? You are the promoter. Negative. I'm an on-air personality. (laughs) That is humorous. Is it? What's so funny about that? Oh, nothing. Who are you? Who am I? Who are you? I'm Stacy Green, fool. Star of Vanderbilt Rules. Writer, designer, and debutante. Who the fuck are you? Reality is a mask. Yeah, yeah, to cover up the bones underneath, right? To cover the nothing underneath. Hello? You there, buddy? Oh, well. Where the hell is Joe? 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 Jojo? Joe? Hello? Hello? Stacy, I can't get out. I can't fucking get out. Joe, where are you? I don't fucking know. I stepped outside to call the cops and I... I don't know. It's like the whole city is under a roof or like, I don't know. I stepped into a theater as big as the city and I can't get out. I can't even see the end of the stage. It just goes on. Oh God, Stacey, help me. I feel fucked up. Joe, I got you, girl. Don't move. I'm calling the police right now. Don't go outside. Don't go out there. Don't. Fuck, fuck. Hello? Hello? Where is everybody? Hello? Please come get me. Somebody please come get me. Get me the fuck out of here, somebody. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Who is this? Who is this? Can you hear me? Can you see these words? Hello? Hello? If if any 
anybody out there can hear me, give me a call. I'm fucking scared, y'all. Hello? Hello? Who are you? right now. I have over There's a half a million. No one listening. There's only you. There's only ever been you. Hello? What the fuck? Where's the microphone? Where? What the fuck? What? Okay. Okay. If... If you can hear me, please call... me. Fuck, where's the phone? <laughs> I'm going outside. I'm going... outside.
the door won't hold long, y'all. I can smell you in there, girl. Where are you at, little radio girl? I'll sniff you out. Right here, asshole. Keep it down. I'm on the air. Be still. Butcher man. Heather Melton of the Lurking News. Here to report that the butcher is no more. I know I'll miss him too, y'all. I was a fan. Well, good night, y'all. And don't be mistaken, one dead monster is no reason to feel safe. You are not safe, now or ever. Be ready, and good night. Someone's playing with the butcher's blade. The Lurking Transmission is created, produced, directed, and engineered by Evan Dean Shelton. The first tale, The Transition of Jacob Ellis Stedman, was written by Evan Dean Shelton and performed by Blake Douglas. The first song was Born in the Arms by Dreadlords. The second tale was A Short Noose Still Attached, written by Evan Dean Shelton and performed by J.M. Torres. This story is from the Lover's Hill series. You can find the rest of the Lover's Hill series at loversill.com. The second song was Scepter of the Shadow of Death by Kane Regis. The third tale, Jumping the Bar, was written and performed by Evan Dean Shelton. The third song was Devil's Inside by Beneath My Shade. The fourth tale, Theater, was written by Evan Dean Shelton and performed by Angela Vickery, Jennifer Robertson, Mark Eklund, Vasco Canaday, and Evan Dean Shelton. With sound design by Evan Dean Shelton, the fourth song was On the Crossroads by Ars Magna Umbre. The voice of the lurking news is Heather Milton. The voice of the lurking t-shirts guy was Zach Griffin. Our real Sonic Danger t-shirts are actually available at the Bandcamp site, as Zach may have mentioned. The voice of the butcher was Evan Dean Shelton. The voice of Riggy Goddamn Mortis is Evan Dean Shelton. The voice of the lurking credits is me, Jennifer Robertson. Everything you hear within the space of the lurking transmission is protected by copyright law but we here at The Lurking Transmission are outlaws and black magicians. Therefore, we don't rely on the law. If you fuck with us, we will fuck with you. While we have your attention, dear receiver, we ask that you do us a favor. And if you enjoy the transmission, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Radio Public, and help us spread the word. Dear receiver, thank you for joining us on this journey. This is our season one finale. And as such, we won't be transmitting for a while. We will return though. Look for us this coming Sawin season. And if you happen to be into cassette releases, we... Did you hear that? Is that on your end?
Wait, who's in? Where the fuck am I? Hello? Hello? 